This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Okay, well, let, in fact, let me just pray. Let me just pray one more time. Father God, I do thank you for what you're doing this morning. And as we just open up your word now, I pray that you will speak to each of us. That um, these words that you've laid upon my heart, that they will be sifted. And those that are from your Holy Spirit will remain in uh, individuals' hearts. And, and your Holy Spirit will do more, Lord, because often you're speaking to us at the same time as someone else might be speaking. That all that you have for us will be revealed, particularly the next steps. So, Father, I would invite you, Holy Spirit, just to fill this place now and speak to us and reveal uh, your truths and reveal more of your um, awesome character and presence and what you desire to do in our lives. Amen. Okay, well, let me, um, let me just read this passage. It's a very short one. Um, it's in Luke 22 verses 31 to 34. So it'll come up in the screen. Most of the time I'm going to use the NIV translation. Uh, I know Mark likes the ESV, but um, I've just got a bit stayed in my ways when it comes to, uh, and I don't want to buy another Bible. So very short, verses 31 to 34. And this is uh, Jesus speaking. And just before I read it, I just want to paint the paint the scene, you'll recall that um, in the previous section, uh, Jesus was with his disciples. They were having a meal together. This was quite a, um, a solemn occasion. It was the Passover meal, and he was also sharing about what's going to happen in the future. And then the disciples start having a squabble amongst them about who's going to be the greatest. Um, you can just imagine him putting his hands, his head in his hands and thinking, how long have these guys been with me? And where have we got to? But they then have this squabble, and Jesus just speaks to them, and his response is one of a servant. And he just reinforces the point that to be great in the kingdom of God, to be first in the kingdom of God, you have to be a servant. And also often in his kingdom, things are turned upside down. And it seems they've got them the back, we've got them back to front. Or is it this world has got things back to front and that's why it's in such a mess? I'll let you think about that. But Jesus spoke to them about what the kingdom of God was like. But then he also told them that each of them would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's the background. And then we go into this, this passage. And Jesus turns to um, Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You know, when Mark asked me to speak on this passage, I thought, boy, what am I going to say? It's, it's, it's Jesus giving a prophecy about what's going to happen. Um, but as I've just spent time reflecting on it, it's, there's so much in this very short passage. There's an unfolding drama in it. And I just want to look at what was going on. And I want to look at it from three perspectives. First of all, I want to look at Satan's request. Then Peter's response. And then Jesus' response. So, in verse 31, we read that Satan has requested that he can sift Peter like wheat. Now, do we believe that? Do we believe that Satan is out there making requests of God to sift us, to have a go at us? How does that work in our, in our sort of modern way of thinking where everything is rational? I mean, we've taken one step into the supernatural by believing in God, but Satan as well? And how do you, how do you tie that all up? Because there's some really weird thinking uh, in this area. It certainly does explain sometimes why things happen in our lives in a particular way. You know, Tracy and I have had times in our life where just everything seems to be going wrong and yet we're, we're seeking to serve the Lord and we're, we're connected and helping uh, others and yet one thing after another um, goes wrong. And particularly when something incredible has, has happened where we've had a, uh, a super discussion with someone and really helped them on their walk with God and next day, pow, it all goes um, pear-shaped. We do live in a fallen world. And when you look at how Jesus describes what's happening in the world, Jesus actually describes Satan as the prince of the world. So if we look at um, in John 14, verse 30, he says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold of me. And also, in Ephesians 2, verse 2, and I'm uh, reading from the, um, the ESV in this particular occasion, it says, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, how do we, how do we get our minds around this particular piece? Is it some sort of medieval fanciful thinking? Or is there actually an influence out there? And, you know, when we think of princes, we sort of think of fairy tale lands with um, guys wandering around in purple tunics, riding white horses and golden crowns on their head. Um, but actually, 
when you look at biblical times, a prince was someone who had power and influence over others, and others were subject to him. And I do believe what, what Jesus is saying in this respect is that there is a force out there where people are subject to it, and they have willingly become subject to it, and they are under that influence. And I don't mean sort of zombie way, but what we can make choices in our life about what we are going to be influenced by, what we are going to accept, what we're going to follow, what we're going to give our allegiance to. And at the moment, in this world, the majority of, of people are giving an allegiance to, they might not recognize it, but certainly when they're following the selfish desires of their heart, which go against God's laws, they're not in subject to God, but they're in subject to the one who is opposing God, who is trying to destroy everything that he is putting in place. And through the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed of what we have done wrong in the past. And he's renewed our heart so that we actually have the, the ability to follow Jesus and to make him our Lord and King and follow his ways. So it's, it's, a, it's a way of describing what is going on in the world. So the forces that we see in this world, and we only have to turn the radio on or listen to the news or scroll through our social media to see the awful things that are happening in this world. What's happening in Gaza, in Yemen. When you look at the statistics on the impact of kids at the moment, did you know that the UK, in a, in a research in 2020 of kids suffering from mental illness and loneliness, self-harm, and all those um, uh, effects. In UK, 79% of children said they were lonely. That was the... UK is the, stands as the, the, the country which has the highest percentage of kids who feel lonely. When it comes to mental illness issues... It was 69%, and we're ranking around third. We've got real issues in this country. Why? What are the influences that are out there? Now, I don't want to get all heavy and sort of um, weird over this, but we just need to understand why things happen in particular ways. Now, we do live in a fallen world. And there are consequences of actions. And we can see some of those consequences and how they're unfolding in Gaza and in the Holy Land at the moment. Both sides feeling they're justified in, in their actions. But we also have free will. So it's all these various factors that need to be pulled together in order to get a complete picture of what is happening here. And all I'm trying to communicate here is that Satan is out there. He does have an influence. And sometimes the things that are going wrong in our lives is because he's been given permission to, uh, um, to sift us. Because we actually, the quality of our faith, the genuineness of our faith actually comes to the surface. And when you look at Peter's story, you can see how he rose out of that. 
and actually it, it, it made his character. It could have broken him, but in this instance it didn't. And this expression, sift as, as wheat, you know, it's very descriptive. To sift is a refining process. When you take a wheat and you, you, you sift it, the outer shell comes off it, and it gets blown away by the wind. And it's that kernel, the kernel, the fruit, that actually provides so much nourishment is what is left. So that refining process actually brings something of quality out of it. So it's interesting that Jesus used those words in this instance. Now let me turn to Peter. Let's try and put ourselves into Peter's shoes in this instance. Peter is reclining at the table. He's having this, this supper with his Lord and Master and friend. Um, all the disciples together. The whole Passover time out in uh, Israel is a really special time. And so there would have been a lot of joy in it as well as somber reflections on what it was all about. And, and then, of course, Jesus is throwing some really weird stuff and then he starts washing their feet. You know, he's, he's trying to get his, his head around all of this. And then suddenly, Jesus comes out of this. And it would have been yet another upper left cut that sort of sends him reeling backwards as he's trying to work out what Jesus had said. Peter loves Jesus. He respects him. He's given up his fishing business to follow Jesus. He's seen a transformation in his life. He's seen people risen from the dead, people healed. And then for Jesus to turn around and say this thing, it shocks him. And how do we respond when someone that we really respect, a mentor, a really close friend, says something that offends us? Often we blurt out with something to defend ourselves, to, to justify our position, to tell them that that's absolute rubbish. They'll be with them until the end. And this is what Peter does. There's this outburst of commitment. He'll follow Jesus to prison and even to death. And I think in his mind, maybe he hadn't fully thought it through, but certainly emotionally, that's what he wanted to do. And we do see in the next chapter how he had the courage. Peter followed Jesus after he'd been arrested right into the lion's lair. He went into the house, the inner courtyard of the high priest. And we read about this in, chapter, in the next chapter, verses 44 to 62. I'm not going to go there because I don't want to steal, steal someone else's sandwiches. I'm sure they're going to dwell on that bit later. But the fact is that when he was challenged, it's one thing being in that presence, but not being, being exposed. But it's completely different when actually you go into there and you're known as a disciple of Jesus. And this is what happens in the courtyard. Three times someone comes up to him and says, aren't you a Galilean? Weren't you with Jesus? And he denies it. How do we respond when God challenges us? Do we ignore it? 
because it's not convenient. And actually, God is such a nice chap. Actually, he'll still carry on loving you. But the fact is, when God challenges us, it's not because he's just wanting to keep us on the straight and narrow. It's because he's got even more for us. And sometimes you need to give up some of the stuff that's filling your life or dictating the way that you lead your life so that he can pour more in that is going to produce greater fruit and greater blessing and bring that relationship with him even closer. So how do we respond? Do we ignore it? Do we defend our position? Lord, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but... And then here comes the excuse. You don't understand what I've been through. Do we get offended? You know, I must admit... I'm guilty of all of those. And do you know the saddest thing about it? When I've taken those paths, it's me who's missed out. Because we have a God who loves us with an incredible, extraordinary love more than we can imagine. And sometimes we've filled our life with other stuff that is a a pale comparison of what his love is like. And we're hanging on to that because we're desperate not to lose it. But actually, he wants to pour so much more in. As we've been singing about over the last few weeks, and I think as someone had a word last week, we do need to surrender ourselves to God. And it's because he wants to give us so much more. But he can only pour that in when we've, we're willing to have the other stuff emptied out. And it's us who've got to choose to do that emptying. You know, sometimes it's a bit like taking a child into a sweetie shop. You know, it's just full of fantastic things. And you're having to drag that child out, kicking and screaming. And in their little minds, they're looking at all these good things. How can this loving carer or parent prevent me from having this stuff when it is so, so good? But of course, in our experience and our knowledge, we know that a little bit of sweet is good, but too much is not going to help you. I can see some wanking fingers around the... uh... (laughs) So it's the same with us and the Lord. And yet he is a father who loves us even more than we are able to love our children. And so I now want to look at God's response. And there are two pieces. First of all, in verse 32, it's interesting that Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. There is an element of doubt here. There is an element that his faith could fail. Peter does have the choice. And Jesus has been praying that he wouldn't fail. But not just that he wouldn't fail, but afterwards, once you've turned back, you will then strengthen your brothers. Because Jesus' perspective on this is often different from the way that we pray for people. I find myself, I'm often praying people that folk will get through a situation or I'll get through it. But actually Jesus saw the bound ahead that they would better use that 
for God's glory, that he would be able to support others as a consequence of what they were going through. And let's take a moment to just think what was going on in Jesus' emotions. Jesus was God, but he did have all the same emotions that we have. Jesus has been with these guys for the last three years. He cares for them. He loves them. He knows that he's about to go through an incredible period of excruciating pain and torment. His back is going to be ripped to shreds and then he's going to be nailed to a cross. The most excruciating death and means of killing someone that you can imagine. He knows this is going to happen. And that's only the beginning because then he's got to go down to hell. And his father God has told him that because he has no sin, he won't stay there. He'll be able to redeem all those um, that he loves. But no one's done this before. It is a step of faith for Jesus as well. And we know the anguish that he was going through because when we read later in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was perspiring droplets of blood. This wasn't an easy period for Jesus. And yet now he knows that Peter is going to deny him. Can you imagine the emotions that was going on in Jesus' mind at this time? You know, he's not just having to deal with what he's going to do, but the consequences that it's going to have on those that he loves round about him. And the whole of the church is hanging on this. And a lot of it is hanging on this man as well. And we then read late in verse 34. Peter responds to this. And then in verse 34, Jesus then turns around when Peter says, I'll go to my death for you. He then has to actually tell Simon the full story. And he says, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you'll deny me three times that you know me. I can't imagine that Jesus was able to say that in a blasé way, in, in, a, in a factual way. I'm sure his, he must have been welling up as he was saying that, that his heart was breaking. Because in order for Peter to fully understand what was going on, he had to tell him a bit more of what was actually going to happen. And when you, I first read this, I did see it as a, as a sort of description of events. But I think there's so much more in this. He's saying that you will deny me three times. Now in the Bible, the, the number three, and, and within um, Hebrew language, the three is really significant. It has a meaning a meaning of completeness, and it's also used to mean wholeness. You know, there were three righteous patriarchs before the flood, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And there were three after, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jonah was in the whale for three days. 
Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed, went back to his disciples, they were asleep, woke them up, prayed again. They fell asleep, woke them up, prayed again. And then the guards came to arrest him with Judas. When he died on the cross, there were three hours of darkness. We know that between his death and resurrection, there were three days. And we talk of the Trinity of God. It is a number meaning completeness. And I believe in this context, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're going to completely deny me. Utterly deny me. Yeah, this must have been devastating, both for Jesus to actually say it and for Peter to receive it. But I believe there's more here because Jesus' words are there to encourage and build up. He wasn't just telling Peter off. He was trying to let him know that there is a hope there. Jesus has prayed for him that his faith will not fail, and that actually beyond that, he will then go and be strengthening his brothers. Jesus is praying for us. There are times when we're going through rough stuff. There are times when we feel we have completely denied Jesus, that he could never turn around and accept us back. That's what Peter was his emotions, and we're going to look at that in, in future weeks. Peter felt wretched as a consequence of what was about to happen. And Jesus knew that. And he's trying to, to let him know that, look, this is going to take place, but I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that you're going to come through this. Hang in there in your faith, in my word. Even when things are not working out the way that you want them to work out. Trust in me. And the passage ends there. And often that's the way when God challenges us. What do we do next? Do we take courage from the words that are said? Do we ignore them and hope it doesn't happen? Do we run like Jonah ran when uh, God told him to go to, to Nineveh? If God's speaking to you at the moment over something in your life, what are you going to do? Do you know the extraordinary thing is that whatever we do, God will not leave us. Whatever our response his love is just too great. You know, think of your own children, if you have children, those that you are really close to if you don't. It doesn't matter what they do. Your love remains undiminished. There might be hurts and scars, but that love remains. And God's love for us is so much greater. Jesus didn't leave Peter when he denied Jesus. He remained there. He stayed there. And it does say in one of the Gospels that Jesus turned and looked at Peter when Peter denied him the third time. We're not left with an interpretation. Sometimes I've heard it 
as if it, Jesus is reinforcing what he said. But that's not necessarily the case. I do believe Jesus, his heart was still for Peter. Jesus still went to the cross for Peter's sin, for his denial. Jesus still goes and has gone to the cross for the failings that we make. And although the passage ends there, and in some ways I want to pause at that point because often in our lives that's where we're at. We don't know what's going to happen next. We have the benefit of of history and a further account because we know what the final outcome was. And we see that in in John um, chapter 21. The disciples are fishing on the Lake of Galilee They've had a bad night. Nothing has worked the way that they'd hoped. And uh, Jesus appears on the beach and they don't realise it's him. And uh, he tells them to throw their net on the other side and they do that. And it's full of fish. And we read in verse 7 in 21, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Peter heard him say that, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. He just threw himself. I don't know how deep they were. I'm sure it was some distance away. You're not going to be a matter of 10 or 20 metres from the shore. But he threw himself into the water and swam to the beach because he just wanted to be with his, his master, his friend. And we read in between 15 and 17, Jesus um, asks Peter whether he loves him, and he does it three times. Now, I'm not going to go into that piece at the moment. But essentially, his response to each of those three times is, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep and there are some who unpack this and say well he denied himself three times and therefore he had to say this three times but I go back to that point that three is the number of completeness he's completely forgiven Jesus knows he didn't need Peter to to say that he loved him but Peter Jesus gave Peter new authority, new responsibility. He never gave up on Peter and he never gives up on us. Let's pray. Father God, Holy Spirit, just come upon us now. As we just dwell upon these these words, this scripture. Just help us to see it in a fresh way, in, in a real way. Lord, you know the issues that we're battling with. I do thank you that your love is all sufficient. Your love never diminishes. You've already died for us. You have already gone through agony for us. You knew our strengths and our weaknesses before you even chose us. 
And yet your heart breaks for us because you want to see us move into all that you have for us. And we keep hanging on to things in this world. And you've got so much more for us. And so much more for those that our lives touch. And you want us to share that with them. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us through this word now. Those areas that we need to surrender to you. And when we surrender something, it's so that we're making room for what you want to fill it with. And I pray that you would do that. So move in us now, I pray. Move in us afresh. May this week, as we step out in faith in these areas, may we sense a renewed power, a renewed closeness to you, a renewed strength. May your name be praised and glorified through us this week. So be with us now. I ask this in Jesus' name.